This is Predictions, the podcast where we talk about the future. I'm your host, Konstantin, and I'm here with Ingmar. Hi, that's me. Today we want to talk about artificial meat and artificial milk and milk products. And we will talk a little bit about the different companies and approaches and then dive deeper into what we think is overhyped and what we think is weird. Basically, there are the traditional old-school patties that are mostly used by vegetarians and vegans, which don't taste anything like meat at all. And then on the other side, you have these like artificial meats, which are actual animal tissue that you grow in a petri dish in a lab, and there have been maybe 10 burgers worldwide ever made like that. Um, but in the middle of that, there are now quite a few new startups, and one of those is Beyond Meat, and another one is Impossible Foods. And um, they are making burgers, and they're making other meat imitates that are much closer to the real thing, but they're still 100% plant-based. And that's a really interesting space because these people are not just going after vegetarians, but they are very explicitly going also after traditional meat eaters who, who say they want to eat more healthily, or they want to do a better thing for the environment, or they want to stop killing animals. And so one of these companies is Impossible Foods, and the other one is Beyond Meat. And they're, on the first glance, they're quite similar, but actually when you look a bit deeper, they're very different. First of all, Beyond Meat is already public, they're also profitable, and they really just use plant-based ingredients. They use protein from peas and other ingredients and vitamins, and then they put it all together, get a nice texture, coconut oil and whatever, and you have a burger. And Impossible Foods does a similar thing, but Impossible Foods also claims that they have kind of a, like a magic ingredient, something some ingredient that really makes the meat taste like meat and that is called heme and they say that they put heme into their burgers because heme is the thing that makes meat taste like meat that makes meat like desirable and makes us crave meat and it's the one thing that we always miss when you have like a meat imitation it's like close but not quite there and they say that this little thing that's not quite there that's the heme so they say that, right? I haven't ever been able to verify that because in Germany <laughs> you're not able to get actually an impossible meat burger because they haven't been able to get approval uh, into in, sell in Germany. So the thing why they haven't been able to get approval yet in, in Germany and in Europe is because they actually use gene-modified yeasts. Um, so a little bit like fermentation process of beer. Um, they use yeast to make um, this heme and they then add this heme as an ingredient to the burgers. So the actual gene-modified organisms, the yeasts, are not going into the burgers. And they're very careful to point that out. So that you're not eating gene-modified foods, but they're using these kind of gene-modified yeasts um, to produce the heme. Similar like uh, insulin, right? If you get insulin nowadays, uh, you don't get it from pigs anymore. Nowadays you get insulin that's produced by gene-modified bacteria. And that's completely fine. And in a similar way, it's going to be uh, with heme. So I haven't been really able to verify this, but people say that the heme-based burgers actually taste much more like meat. Um, but in any case, they don't really have the texture yet like meat. And that's also the reason why all of these companies are really going after the burger space. Because in a burger you have a patty and you also have a lot of sauce and other stuff. So you don't <laughs> like feel so much what you're biting into. And it's really more about the taste and the flavor than it's about the texture. So none of these companies has ever made um, an artificial... Um, steak with a bone on it i don't know how you how do you call a steak with a bone mm. is that, is, is that, that isn't a steak or 
Cut, I don't know. I'm not a meat person. I'm not a meat person. It's a very German way. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a media thing. So the, they're only you can buy them in, in in restaurants. You can buy them in supermarkets, of course, not in Germany. Um, actually, Beyond <laughs> Meat you can get in Berlin. There are a couple of restaurants selling that. So so I should definitely do that after this episode. I should have done it before, of course. Um, but I didn't. Um, so you can buy them, and they're both roughly the same price, and they're both more expensive than the traditional meat. So they are definitely going for a premium positioning in the market. Uh, just for completeness, there also has been a scandal around Impossible Foods that they had. There was some glyphosate in the yeast that they used. I'm not exactly sure what happened there. I didn't research it any further, but I think it's just fair to point it out uh, here. And yeah, it's an interesting thing, but there's also, when we did the research on this, we discovered that there's also artificial milk. Yeah, the thing about uh, artificial dairy or milk uh, specifically is that, of course, milk is not such a complex product, actually. So it's mostly water. And then you have some, yeah, of course, some fats, some proteins and <laughs> some other stuff. Yeah. Like, so I have a startup that has like water already and we're like 90% there <laughs> having exactly. milk, right? Like you just need funding for the last 10%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, that's kind of the pitch. Yeah, you can basically just push a little bit of stuff together and then you have your milk. But the really interesting thing about those new companies is that they are trying to artificially produce some of the proteins again using genetically modified yeast. And their claim or kind of the unique selling point is that those proteins are really responsible for the nice taste of the milk. So when you take everything from plants, except for those uh, couple of proteins, you get nice tasting milk without using any animal. And yeah, actually, one of the big players in the market is Perfect Day. <laughs> They were formerly mm. called Moo Free, I think. <laughs> so maybe yeah, some. Like, I think Cow, cow Free, Moo yeah, Free. It's, yeah, it's that's pretty it's clever. <laughs> so, okay. um, what they're um, saying is they're actually using the same DNA information that is in the cow's DNA to and take it and inject it into the yeast. And then somehow the yeast starts producing um, similar proteins. So, yeah. <laughs> Basically magic, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have no idea how <laughs> Gene it works. technology. Who knows how this works? <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah. So, so that's, that's how they do it, apparently. But wait. So, the proteins are the same. The proteins that, that they add to the milk are exactly the same proteins that you have in the cow milk. So, they're really 100% simulated. I think so, yeah. I think so. Okay. Yes. Yeah. As, I yes. mean, I'm, of, co of course, they're, they're, not, they're not imitating the entire formula, but the claim is... Uh, somehow that most of the milk you can actually replace by plant-based products and then mm -hmm. you have a little bit left over similar to the heme uh, in the mm -hmm. burger meat that you really need so it tastes actually tastes like proper milk and this mm -hmm. is what they produce using meat uh, <laughs> using yeast <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah, it's so a big step forward to make <laughs> yeah. no Good. yeast yeah yes and um so there's Perfect Day, which is kind of, I would think it's kind of the leader in this segment because I think last summer they already sold some ice cream. And of course, yeah, ice cream is not so cool because you don't really taste much milk and ice cream. And also it was just small batches and it was really expensive and just for fans. But 
yeah, what I've been hearing, it tastes really good and it tastes creamy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Perfect Day actually is not trying to sell their product directly to customers in the form of ice cream, like in this initial rollout, but they're actually trying to produce artificial dairy and then sell it to food suppliers. So they can make their products with that. So they don't want anything to do with the customer side. They just want to supply the basic product. And mm. um, yeah, they actually recently teamed up with Archer Daniels Midland, which I've never heard, but it's apparently one of the world's largest food providers. Um, yeah. yeah, so they are really getting large right now. And it's quite mm. interesting. There are also some others, uh, which are a little bit smaller, like New Culture, which is concentrating on cheese mainly. Um, But yeah, I think they're still more in the proof of concept phase. Mm. And I also heard of Motif, um, who are trying to both produce artificial meat and dairy. (laughs) So they're really deep into this. Um, But I also uh, still like, I think, yeah, still in an early stage. Um, So it's more like a proof of concept phase again there. Yeah, but I think it's really interesting that um, it's not that far developed like the um, artificial meat space, but uh, at least a perfect day is really seemingly starting to grow. So, yeah. yeah. And I think what's really interesting is that in this artificial milk, um, it's it's really like milk. That's how I understood it. So there isn't really anything that on a molecular level really distinguishes it from actual milk, maybe with the fact that aside from the fact that it doesn't contain antibiotics or something like that and and other than soy milk or something which is basically water with soybeans um this artificial milk contains a real milk proteins and you can make uh, cheese from it and you can make yogurt from it and this, this is not something you could do with soy milk because it's not really milk mm-hmm. so that's actually i think it's very interesting and uh, so for my for my feeling is that um if I have to, if I had to judge the long-term perspectives of um, the artificial milk and the artificial meat, I feel like the meat is more likely to remain a niche product because it's not never quite there. There's always this uncanny valley, and with the milk, I feel like it, it can it it can be the real thing. It can be the same basically, and um, and people won't see the difference. And I think then it's more of a cultural question mm-hmm. um, of people if people will adopt it. But um, you know, you you kind of across this uncanny valley, you know, where people feel like, oh, it's kind of like it, but not quite. Yeah. The artificial milk is almost like like it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just a simpler product, right? You don't have to imitate the texture <laughs> for once. It's yeah. just liquid, and yeah, I think I think milk is not that complicated. I think, however, that I mean, it's it's not molecular on a molecular level. Oh, <laughs> I think, however, that it's not on a molecular level completely equivalent to actual milk. Um, mm. it's just that the stuff that it's different is not so important for the taste in the end and also mm. it, it has some properties of milk which means that you can actually use it to produce cheese and so on which yeah you're right yeah. it's not possible with soy milk and <laughs> I'm not sure how it was taste actually probably get yeah, soybeans I mean, it's interesting it's interesting that uh, this um, move free sorry like perfect day company mm. that they went for for ice cream instead of just presenting their milk um yeah. Maybe it's because they know that their clientele is more interested in ice cream, or maybe they wanted to demonstrate that you can do something with it. That's not just you cannot make ice cream from soy milk, you know. So if you're a vegetarian, you maybe haven't had any milk ice cream for a long time. 
because you can't have it from soy milk. Yeah, um, but but I think to be honest, I'm not so sure. I mean, mm, sorry, uh, vegan. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I think it's quite it's a little bit suspicious that they made ice cream uh, because I think they're actually like to today they're um, ice cream sorts that are vegan, which I find quite good. So <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm not so sure. I think I think it's easy to to make an ice cream um, which just tastes that strong that you don't really um, taste anything else anymore. So. Yeah, I'm okay. not sure, but you're saying I'm falling for the hype here. These have all very early stage startups; they can claim anything, and it's hard to verify, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, but we just—I don't know. I—I—I I, I have a good feeling with that because I don't know. For some reason, they're—they're they're really scaling up now, so somebody mm. else will even it. Yeah. <laughs> And what what do you think? What about more? What has a bigger long term prospects? The artificial meat or the artificial dairy or both or none of them? Just like roughly, you know. Well, I think um, <laughs> I th I think both will grow, hopefully, yeah. and then as you already touched on, it will really depend on uh, how it is culturally, right? Um, yeah. Do those product kind of stay in their pretty expensive? vegan hipster also technology friendly niche or do they come out of it and just become a very widespread replacement that everybody kind of accepts and yeah i don't know i think i think that uh this is really hard to say <laughs> yeah i think it's interesting how they go in terms of branding and pricing because right now the the meat and also the milk are priced higher than the real thing um, because they're establishing themselves as like a premium product for vegetarians or sorry for vegans and vegetarians and maybe as a healthier alternative which I'm sure you can argue um, and um, and um, it's interesting if they will ever be like okay we have our process figured out we can actually go cheaper we can compete on price I think it's a very dangerous route to go because the moment you go there Uh, everybody thinks that you're like the fake thing like the fake cheap alternative like um i don't know like um how do you call it in german you have like mukafuk which is like the, the coffee which is made from grain which people drink in war times and i think you, you don't want to become that kind of thing you know <clears throat> i i agree that this is really what 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 will make the difference right if um I mean, as soon as those products hopefully become cheaper because I think it's quite plausible that they will be cheaper um, yeah, it's, to, sure. to me, it seems like a much less complex process than actually milking cows or actually yeah. killing animals. And yeah. um, once they become cheaper, they it really depends on on like cultural influences how it will be perceived. If it's going to be the cheap thing you get into your food you don't really want, or if it's going to be the next cool thing and kind of fancy right so yeah. if they manage to pull that off uh i i see a bright future for both um yeah i think as, as you already said like at least from from the perspective right now it's not really clear how you can make actual meat and not just burger patties um from a texture point of view yes. and from a f like a yeah, yeah. and put a bone in there yeah like like a plastic bone can you imagine like you get like a plastic bone <laughs> as like imitation you can, you can chew on it <laughs> <laughs> you give it to your dog and like, okay yeah yeah uh, yeah I don't know and the other um, 
the other thing is um, that um, Beyond Meat, which is not using any GMO-based yeast to produce their patties there, can really go for the vegan, health-conscious, eco side of the market. But Impossible Foods, which have like this yeast-based um, heme um, component in their food, they kind of uh, always face criticism for, for GMO, right? Like the, the kind of people who... This is a stereotype, but I'm sure statistically there is a big overlap between people who are vegan and people who are very much against gene-modified organisms anywhere. And so I think you're really limiting your market. Like if you do like Impossible Foods, you're going for these kind of markets. Um, so of course, if you ask them, uh, they will tell you that they don't go for this market. Um, they very explicitly say they don't care about vegans. Uh, <laughs> sorry. And that they really want to um, appeal to meat eaters. But if you're a meat eater, why would you pay more for a product that, from your point of view, maybe is potentially inferior? Um, so it's, I think it's really hard to market it um, for them. And the same applies to the artificial milk. And I think, um, of course, and the reality is that producing milk and meat is very, very uh, environmentally unfriendly. It's very expensive. You have to feed an animal and it's going to stand its own shit for like 10 years, <laughs> five years, and you're going to like suck its breasts all the time and you get milk. And that's weird and inefficient and somehow anachronistic. Um, and and then um, on, on the other side, you have some nice gene-modified yeast that ferments uh, uh, proteins that you can then mix with water and you have the same product. So from my point of view, of course, the artificial one seems, from what I've heard, heard so far, um, the nicer product, but I don't think people will see it as that, especially if it's cheaper. Yeah, they will see this like a cheap alternative so I think it's a big risk in terms of branding and I, I, if I was running these companies I wouldn't be really I wouldn't be sure how to place them in the market yeah I think yeah. I think I would try to take it slow you know I think that if you give it 10 years of time or so and over 10 years of time it remains this very fancy expensive product then maybe, maybe people start to grow to it right and people start to think yeah. of it as this as this new thing that is just better in every way because it doesn't have antibiotics in it and it's much more ecological and maybe yeah so maybe then you can introduce it to a to a broader market but i would agree like it, it wouldn't really help um the whole thing if it yeah. would be cheap right now i don't think so yeah, but then also there's a risk that you're the one who's like paving the way in terms of brand branding like this artificial milk or something nice and then costco comes in with its in-store brand makes a cheaper version of what you're doing and and then basically they're starting to go for the cheaper segment yeah. <laughs> and they're going for the mass market and you're losing that so i think i think i think brands are the companies are actually aware of that risk and that's why a lot of them don't even try to brand themselves but they're they see themselves as a supplier for um for um, producers with a bigger market power because they know mm -hmm. they, they can maybe carve out a luxury segment but but um, the moment um, it's ready it's time to go into the big market they will be raised by some other cheaper competitor so i think they try to be like the r&d thing that um, produces the research produces the technology and then partner with the big brands in terms of branding and distribution and i think that's a smart strategy mm -hmm. yeah yeah Okay, in terms of predictions, let's say in 2030, 10 years, roughly. Nine years and, and 10 months. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think will be the market share of this kind of beyond meat, impossible meat, artificial meat kind of 
thing and like not market share in terms of cost but let's say in terms of kilograms of meat eaten well um i i think that i don't think that in 10 years uh, this will become popular beyond the kind of vegan technology friendly scene so this is the the model i apply <laughs> and using that i would think that of the eight percent of the world's population that are vegetarian today maybe a quarter of them will actually use it then so i don't know my, my estimation for artificial meat using genetically modified organisms uh, in 2030 is that it's going to be two percent of the mass of meat consumed then <laughs> okay Mo volume or mass mass <laughs> um yeah um yeah i agree i mean i think i have i have a bit of a higher number but i think um we were talking about the 10 year time frame the 30 year time frame before recording this and i think in 30 years there's a much bigger chance that people will accept this artificial meat and this artificial milk in particular as like a e equal replacement um, not not a lower quality replacement or a higher quality, but like equal, and then it will be a matter of pricing. But I think in ten years that's too early. The only way to su to survive the next ten years uh, for these kind of brands is to be like a luxury product, like brand themselves as something uh, special. Um, so they don't shouldn't even try to appeal to the masses yet, um, but rather to like the more eco conscious people. I think though this is a bigger market than maybe you think, and I think especially if they're very tasty. I know that I can see myself going for those rather than going for the standard meat. And, and I'm not usually a customer nowadays of burger patties that are made from soybeans and I'm also not vegetarian or vegan. So judging from myself, <laughs> uh, sample size one, it's going to be 100%. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be like, I think it's more like 10%. Now, uh, but we're talking about meat, yeah. But also in the milk, in the milk space, I see a similar thing. 10%. Mm -hmm. I think there's a bigger chance for milk to become really, really, really big, like artificial milk to become really, really, really big um, sooner because I think the product may be closer to the real thing. Mm. But also, we haven't seen it yet, so this is pure speculation. Yeah, but I, I mean, the thing is, I mean, I'm, I'm again, I again have a lower number. I would again say that it's about 2% of the milk consumed <laughs> in 2030 that is actually artificial milk and um, I kind of <laughs> I'm a little bit afraid that large number of the population is not going to accept genetically modified food or food even produced from genetically modified organisms as those companies are really trying to point out is a difference but still I, I don't think that this is going to be so popular so soon um simply because there's a in my opinion very uh weird uh pushback against genetic engineering i don't know yeah maybe yeah probably at least in germany yeah but i think i think people people will not differ differentiate but i think you should differentiate between um using a gene modified organism in a controlled environment like a lab or in a factory like using gene-modified bacteria to grow insulin, using gene-modified yeast to grow heme protein or, um, and not so protein, like heme molecules or um, milk proteins uh, on the one side and on the other side, um, putting a gene-modified 
soybean plant in a field where then it can recombine with other soybeans and maybe change their gene structure. I think one thing in a factory, um, the risks are much more manageable in terms of, okay, we just make sure not so much escapes and so on. On the field, I think um, just the, the chain of arguments that you need to make to prove that it's secure, it's more complex. And um, personally, I'm not convinced one way, one way or another, um, simply because I haven't researched it yet. Um, so I, but I think in the factory thing, it's 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 a very much a slam dunk. I think it's it's not the risk if you this is not going to the yeast is not going to get out and flow into the street and then recombine with the yeast there and then sure, start yeah. a next Skynet or something. Like it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I mean, it, it's a controlled environment and. Yeah. It could happen. It's a ten percent chance. It could I happen. Think. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but that's another episode of predictions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but I think I mean, uh, I mean pe people really hate uh, gene technology. Um, and yeah. It's actually pr pretty funny uh, when when you go to the websites and FAQs of those companies. They're really trying so hard to avoid saying gene modified organisms. Oh yeah, <laughs> so many ways to talk around it. I have. <laughs> It's really one one thousand ways to not say the word, but say the word. And yeah. uh, for example, I think Perfect Day is calling their their um, their yeast some some type of flora. I I, I don't remember yeah, the term, but it's, it's really my, my, microflora <laughs> or microculture or something like that. So they don't also they don't call it yeast, right? Because somehow that freaks people out as well. So yeah. they don't call it. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, not so sure. So so I mean, somewhere in the text you can find everything, but. Um, yeah, they, they're they really trying hard to hide it and I think they have a reason to because frankly many people don't judge very rationally on this and mm. yeah so yeah I think this is our fundamental disagreement I'm a little bit more pessimistic on the cultural shift you're kind of assuming and mm. the ability of those brands to market uh, their product maybe in spite of uh, still remaining widespread uh, fear of genetic uh, engineering and yeah you're more optimistic so yeah, yeah. right yeah as always yeah exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, no I, I think I think that's not it's not just GMO I think people are very peculiar about their food I mean there are people who Okay, I'm gonna piss off a bunch of people, but I, I, I don't, I don't okay. really think there's so much difference between a fifty-dollar wine and a thousand-dollar wine, and but people talk about it, and um, <clears throat> there are people who claim that uh, sparkling wine is only the real thing and only nice if it's really from the region of Champagne in in France, because only then you can call it Champagne, right? Because also it's a protected thing, so that will be another thing, by the way, for these companies. Like you're not allowed to call it meat, uh, you're not allowed to call it milk. Yeah. If it doesn't come from a cow, <laughs> so you call it something like milk or like milk replacement, and then this is already yet another hatchet closing, mm -hmm. like um, closing the door on on ever marketing this product as uh, like a better like equal quality to milk. Um, so people will see it as some cheap replacement product, or either or as an expensive luxury product, but they will not see it as an equal replacement for a very long time. It's going to be a big shift. I could imagine that um, you would have um, you would use the milk more in cheese or in like processed foods maybe also other countries which are less um, 
worried about their food uh, uh, supply and more worried about um, so people, other countries which are less worried about um, like the uh, emotional quality of their food supply but more about their actual quality of their food supply <laughs> and I could imagine that, that you would have it like in like a, I don't know like a frozen pizza or like uh, the, the cheese on a burger that you get on the street uh, may have artificial milk in it and if, if it becomes like if they start competing on price that might maybe a way also how it gains market share mm -hmm. um, just sneaking into things and um, that may be a way to gain some market share but if you do that too early there's going to be a huge pushback against that. <laughs> exactly. People be like, Sneaking no, into but things. I only drink real milk. And is there real milk in this? And then every shop will have like real milk <laughs> written on under its windows. And so I don't think I don't think in the next 10 years it would be a smart brand move to go for that. But I mean, it has to happen, right? It's really crazily inefficient how we produce our food nowadays. Like most of the um, landscape in developed countries is actually used by agriculture. And I don't know if, if we can find a way to make this obsolete, uh, we should follow it, right? And I don't know. I mean, it's still in an early stage, but to me, it seems a little bit like a promising avenue. And I don't know. It's just such a huge, yeah. such a huge impact topic. I think it has to happen. I agree. I agree on meat and milk. I do not agree on, on grain or other like corn and so on, because I think um, putting corn in the fields is already quite um, uh, efficient because you don't, you don't need to like catch the light in terms of photovoltaic cells, put it through an electricity grid, put it out again through a lamp, um, but you already use it directly. So I think at the end of the day, I, I don't know how much, how much, potential there is in optimizing the growth of corn or grain or rice or soybeans or other vegetables um, I think there is some potential for like um, big leaf vegetables like salad um, because um, they use a lot of water and they don't need so much light compared to other um, mm -hmm. uh, fruits um, but I think um, But I think it's something like corn. I think we'll be growing that out on the field somewhere around the North Pole and the South Pole still in a hundred <laughs> years. Um, yeah. I mean, but I think on meat and dairy, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, you can feed 10 people um, when you start feeding them grain instead of putting it into a cow and then killing the cow and feeding one person with that. And I think also in terms of water usage, in terms of methane output, which has an impact on climate change, it's pretty insane what we're doing for meat and what we're doing for dairy. And then also we're killing a bunch of animals, which somehow I don't, I try not to think about so much when I eat meat. But if you think about it more, it's also kind of strange. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's really crazy how... I mean, growing crops is already quite inefficient uh, in terms of using the energy per area impacting the earth. And then, yeah, yeah, but of of course, yeah, as as you said, it's it's not so clear to me that you can actually improve this using I don't know solar cells and uh, vertical farming. But then you have the second step <laughs> of already inefficiently obtained energy. Um, 
and you put it back into an animal and the animal does a lot of things but mm, only grows with a little bit of this energy and then mm. you kill the animal and yeah it's just like inefficiently twice, and you put right? so much antibiotics into the system yeah. and you create antibiotics resistance yeah and it's i mean if if, if, you, if you think about it it sounds kind of complicated in at first uh how those companies are trying to produce milk um but then uh, i mean in some ways the process is much less complex than actually milking a cow <laughs> i mean yeah. it's just what has been done traditionally but once we are at a point as humanity where we can decide what we do um artificial milk suddenly becomes the much less complex thing and actually natural to do right yeah I mean, we already established that we don't really know how close the milk is to the real thing. For the meat, we know it's like close, but not quite there. Especially for Beyond Meat, for Impossible Meat, it may be almost quite there. <laughs> um, but I think um, where was I going with that? Um, yeah, I, I think I think there is also something that we may be um, forgetting is that uh, the, the difficulty of producing the ingredients that go into this milk. There's a long supply chain there. And I was actually reading about uh, this today when researching again um, about uh, what vegans need in terms of nut nutritional supplements, right? So what are the kind of nu nutrients that you usually don't get if you are a vegan? And uh, one of those is vitamin D. And there are different vitamins. There is vitamin D3, vitamin D2. And um, until very recently, there had been no vegan way to produce vitamin D3. So it was always being extracted from milk or other um, meat products. And so it may be that if you really want to simulate milk, um, there may be other, other components such as vitamin D3 where you run into problems sourcing them from um, non-animal uh, non products. I mean, the, the milk proteins, they solved it with the yeast. With vitamin D, they figured also out how to make vitamin D3 in a vegan way. But I think where I'm going is um, that um, the, 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 there may be a long supply chain behind some of these components that we kind of don't see right now, which is actually uh, creating a lower bond on the price, but also a lower bond on the complexity that you need to um, achieve in order to create this artificial mm -hmm. milk. Um, so it may be a little bit too early to judge that, but just looking at it from like a thousand feet view, um, or a 10,000 feet view, um, you see a lot of farms. <laughs> and it would be nice thinking about, um, or it's nice thinking about what you could do with all the surface if you didn't have cows running there and sheep and pigs. And what you could do with all the surface where you would have to grow less grain, you would have to grow less corn because you would have to not feed these animals. And I think the planet could use a bit more forests nowadays. Mm -hmm. and a bit more open spaces and i think if the price for that is that we have to use artificial milk instead of real milk personally i would be very happy to pay that mm -hmm. yeah and i think um what's what's really crazy about this is that i mean of course because it has been traditionally done we became so used to um agriculturally used landscapes that we actually mistake them as nature right and yeah <laughs> we go to the countryside and we think we're 
amidst <laughs> nature, but we're actually amidst fields and grasslands till the horizon. <laughs> exactly, which has nothing to do with nature. With nature, maybe grasslands a little bit more. But I mean, if you're re really in the middle of a cornfield, that, that's not nature, right? And um, yeah, but also grasslands, for example, in Central Europe or in England. This is not what this sure, natural yeah, look like. Not there, yeah. No. And um, yeah, so we have become so accustomed to change uh, our environment, um, which of course was necessary. But yeah, I think if we can be at a point where we don't need it, that would be great, right? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where you kind of are blind to the potential for disruption. And I think it's a very interesting space because... I don't think we are quite there yet, but once we are there, the disruption is going to be huge. Just think about the number of people, even in developed industrial countries, that live off dairy farming, mm -hmm. uh, that live off dairy farming, that live <laughs> off meat production. Yeah, yeah not diaries. <laughs> <laughs> diary yeah. farming. Um, and um, and I think I think um, it's it's. Uh, I don't know when it's going to happen. Maybe ten years, maybe twenty years, maybe thirty years. But I can very well imagine a future in the 50 or 100 years where we are all vegan mm -hmm. and um, uh, it's hard to say when it will happen but I think also these kind of milk uh, artificial milk setups they have been a little bit under the radar these, these meat startups are very much in the focus and milk you kind of keep forgetting because also of course vegans are a much bigger demographic than veget uh, than Not a way around. No, sorry vegans are a smaller demographic mm -hmm. than vegetarians But I think uh, there is a lot of potential there, yeah. especially if they figure out the cost savings. So it's going to be an interesting, an interesting next 20, 30 years yeah. to watch these companies. Yeah, it's a 100,000 year old industry to disrupt. So <laughs> I mean, like we're, we're kind of we're kind of a little bit optimistic about this, but if you just think about it, yeah. if that if that's going to succeed, that's that's the oldest industry. <laughs> that's actually the second oldest industry, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. But it's the second oldest industry, and it's actually the only one that has existed for the first, I don't know, 100 or 98,000 years. So, <laughs> kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it has to happen in order to save us, because I think it's going to be a big factor in terms of helping with climate change. That 13% of climate change is also caused by meat and dairy production and other food production. Um That's a number I write today, but now that I think about it, that seems kind of wrong because if we didn't do any food production, we'd just grow forests in these places, we would probably have a bunch more trees. And I don't know if that would maybe even help with all of climate change. So, um, yeah, it has to happen because I think it will be a big factor in helping with fixing climate change. But I also think it has to happen because it just seems so insane what we are doing nowadays. Not just on the moral point of view, that's not the one thing I want to focus on, but just in terms of complexity, how we are producing meat, how we are producing dairy. Yeah. That seems pretty archaic. All right. Anything to add from your side? I don't think so. It has to happen, that's all. <laughs> <laughs>